The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. It remains the number one question. What do I do about suicide, mental health at the intersection of my faith? I'm not talking about people outside the church. And the problem is there's been such silence on this whole issue. And guess what? The Bible has a lot to say about how we think and how to think well. Founder of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston, helps you find lasting truth for unanswered questions as we spend Wednesdays in the Word with Sheila Walsh. Next. I'm Sheila Walsh and welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. And I wanted just to say thank you to those of you who write little notes or you'll mention how one particular program or perhaps a, a verse of scripture really touched you. And I just want you to know I get them and I, I really, really appreciate it. And I usually do Wednesdays in the Word by myself. But I got to hear a guy last year who has left an indelible imprint in the life of my husband and myself. Um, he is brilliant. But he's written this book, um, just one of many things he's written, called Unanswered, Lasting Truth for Trending Questions. So would you please welcome my guest, Dr. Jeremiah Johnson. Welcome. Thank you, Sheila. And I have to say what an absolute honor it is for me to be on your program because I've admired your ministry for years. Oh, so thanks. it's truly an honor. I've been counting down the days for this time together. So thank you. Thank you. One of the things um, that I noticed, first of all, about this book in particular is that like, when I was in seminary, I took an apologetics class. But this is like apologetics for the church. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I really appreciate. It's questions that people within the church are asking, what kind of research did you do before writing this? You know, it's really fascinating because you're an accomplished author and I didn't sit in a room and want to dream up a trendy book that would be relevant to audiences. It's really my wife, Audrey. She came to me when we launched our ministry, Christian Thinker Society, and she said, Jeremiah, we, we need to make this interactive and I want you to take questions live from the audience. Yikes. And she said, I'll ask them, so that's my job. Your job is to answer them. You know, no prerequisites, <laughs> no preparation. And I was, I was really concerned at first because I thought, what if no one texts questions? I was amazed. And keep in mind, we do events at churches of all denominations across the spectrum, and people were not shy about the questions they asked. And then we began to notice it didn't matter the denomination, the questions, there were certain recurrent questions that were trending, if you were, in all of our events. And we realized that most pastors are reticent to speak to some of these issues. You're not comfortable to walk into a bookstore and ask, where's that aisle of that, that issue? So that's how it came together. Yeah, and as I looked through the book, and we're not gonna get to everything that's in here, so you're gonna have to get your own copy, but, but the, the ones that we're gonna hone in on today in particular, I, I think are huge. Let's start with God on mute, when it seems as if God is silent. Mm -hmm. As I read your story, for you and Audrey, this was not an academic exercise. This is something you walked through. 
That's right. Uh, we couldn't get pregnant for five years. And anyone who has struggled with infertility knows just how personal that can be. And when you struggle through the silence of God, I mean, when you're really going through it, and bear in mind, you know, no Christian is perfect. We're just forgiven, right? But at the same time, when you're walking with God, you have an expectation that the Lord is going to hear these prayers that we're asking. And here we're in ministry, we're in the trenches serving God, and we can't get pregnant. And to make a long story very short, when you go through the silence of God, Sheila, I know you've written about this too, you begin to almost, your theology can change in a way that the enemy, because you begin believing those lies. And, and it's like the disciples in John chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, when the, the boy who's born blind, teacher, who sinned? this boy or his parents that he was born this way. Because, parenthetical note in Judaism, if you were had a child born deformed, handicapped, you were a social outcast. God was not with you. Verse three, Jesus said, and you know the passage, neither sin, but that the power of God could be manifest among you. And so we began to notice it didn't matter if it was Abraham who suffered 25 years with God's silence, Joseph 13 years, Moses 40 years. You could throw Jesus in 30 years before he started his ministry. God was preparing them. And so we learned some invaluable lessons going through the silence of God. But yeah, it felt like he unfollowed us for a while. <laughs> you had, um, you say in this book that God's silence is real, biblical, personal, common and not always bad. Mm -hmm. I thought those were really helpful distinctions because I talked to a woman a few weeks ago who said, um, I've been praying for my husband to be healed from cancer mm -hmm. and he died. And mm -hmm. I just want to know, what did I do wrong? Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes people feel, you know, we're going to believe if you have faith, even like a mustard seed. And we sometimes we'll take all these scriptures and all they do is they become a lead weight in Absolutely. our soul. What do you say to people? I always remind people that are in that difficult situation because we're all there. I think of the father in Mark chapter nine and think of that. Jesus is walking down the transfiguration mountain, perhaps the greatest miracle before the resurrection. Perhaps his body is still glistening. There is a crowd around him but yet we see this father who's in desperation. He doesn't see the glistening, powerful Jesus. He sees that his boy is overcome with a demon. And it's the only demon, uniquely enough, that the disciples were unable to cast out in the entire New Testament narrative. And that father looks and, and he's suffering. Your disciples can't even cast him out. Verse 22 looks at Jesus. If you can do anything, Jesus, will you do it? And do you remember what Jesus says in verse 23? I love this about Jesus. He's almost talking a little smack. If I can, <laughs> if I can, you're speaking to the, the one who holds the universe in his hands. But the father says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And here's the theme of the book and the series and the tour. It's okay to have an unanswered question yeah. as long as you're genuinely seeking truth and the answer. Yeah. Um, one of the things I loved is you talk about you talk with 1 Peter 4, 13, where you say, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Mm -hmm. And I think, I'm thinking of somebody watching right now who is at their most raw, mm -hmm. at their most vulnerable. There's something so redemptive in what Peter writes there, redeeming our suffering, participating with Christ. Mm -hmm. Is that one of the things that, that you think falls into the, is God mute? Absolutely, and that's such a great verse, Sheila, because it's important that our viewers understand when we read the New Testament, when we read the stories where people are suffering, more often than not, the suffering does not immediately cease. What do we see? We see a God who is with them, with us in our suffering. There's not this miraculous 
you know, escape, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I wish there were. Yeah. And yet God is teaching us, and I, I love what Henry Blackaby wrote, because I studied the silence of God, because unfortunately there's really not a store in the, an aisle in the book, you know, here's the silence of God section. There, people have been not really written about this issue, and yet so many Christians mm -hmm. face it. Henry Blackaby, who you know, authored the Experiencing God Bible study, and yet the man who authors Experiencing God says, I often myself struggled with the silence of God. Wow. Think about that, experiencing God on the one hand, silence of God on the other, and he said, first I'd go through my sin checklist, and if I was okay there, I knew God was taking me deeper, and I should do whatever it was he last told me, I should stay there and be faithful. So you're not alone, you're not a second-rate, second-tier Christian. If you feel like God is silent to you at this moment, he's not, and his silence is not equated with sin. He's taking you deeper. I think it's interesting, you talk about how Joseph was um, trafficked mm -hmm. as a teenage boy, mm -hmm. knowing that God had placed, you know, this tremendous vision on his life, this dream for his life, and the, all of the stuff that happened. I mean, I'm always fascinated when it says, and God was with him. And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, that's not what you think is gonna happen if <laughs> exactly. God is with you, you know, Egyptian you don't get trafficked. <laughs> yeah, but you talk about, it took all those years, but we live in such a quick fix society. And a church, I think, we want immediate answers. Mm -hmm. but. But for God's redemptive purpose, and you brought up a psalm, I didn't even remember that Joseph was mentioned mm -hmm. in that psalm where they were recounting the works of God. And it was, you see that this wasn't an accident, it was part of God's plan. That's exactly right, and it's, it's almost cryptic at the end of Genesis 40 in the, in the verse, in the story you just mentioned. It actually says Joseph is forgotten in prison, and yet on either side of that, that passage, but God was with him. Mm -hmm. God wanted to take Joseph out of Canaan from transformation to triumph. And he did it through this apparent silence, but yet God was with him the entire time. And there is a story for us in that. One of the things that I love is that you, um, when silence is real, you say, saturate yourself in the Psalms. Why? Well, that's interesting. Jesus did that, I think. When I think about that epic moment, the cry of dereliction, where we hear Jesus in his native tongue, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, where are you? What is the next thing Jesus begins to quote? Psalm 22. He immediately goes to the Psalter. You know, one Bible scholar said all 2,461 verses in the Psalms is a promise from God. Wow. Another Bible scholar actually stopped on his 27th reading of God's Word, and he said, I'm going to count up all the promises in God's Word. I wonder how long it will take me. It took him a year and a half. <laughs> Guess how many there were, Sheila? 7,437 wow. to be exact. Someone said, skeptic, stop it. Well, how do you know there's that many? He said, I counted every single one. Wow, that's amazing. And we can stand on those promises even in the midst of silence. And that's what Audrey and I did in our story. But I love the way that you, you connect. And I've never connected these phrases before. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You connect it with, mm -hmm. Father, into your hands. That's right. I commit my spirit. That there's not a... It's like trusting in the midst of silence. Mm -hmm. I think that's a huge thing. I think so. I don't think we have a choice as followers of Jesus. And you made such an interesting statement. We do live in this immediate on-demand culture. And that's why it's important we become Christian thinkers. So many of us, we get in a problem and we want a soundbite, yeah. a tweet instead of substance. And that's why I love watching Sheila Walsh Wednesdays in the Word because you are distilling substance and we need many more teachers like you who are actually giving us the Word of God. A big question deserves an investment of our time. 
and we need to be readers Absolutely. and thinkers. We need to do what Jesus said in Matthew 22, 37, love God with all my mind. Yeah. And that, that section of your book where it talks about the church and mental illness mm. really resonated with me. Um, my, my father committed suicide when, when I was five, but we, we never talked about it. Mm. Even within our family, I don't think my whole family ever sat down once in my whole life and talked about it. And, and then I was hospitalized for depression and it just became this thing that, in fact, one of the senior vice presidents said to me, don't ever tell anybody where you were because it'll ruin your ministry. And I said, I'm not trying to save my ministry. I'm trying to save my life, yeah. dude. Yeah. And, exactly. Why did you write on this? Was this something that you heard over and over, people saying, please talk to this? This is, and, and thank you for your courage to share your story because mm -hmm. it continues to minister to millions of people. It is the number one question after receiving now close to 10,000 texted oh. questions. It was 4,000 when I wrote the book. It remains the number one question. What do I do about suicide, mental health at the intersection of my faith? I'm not talking about people outside the church. And the problem is there's been such silence on this whole mm -hmm. issue. And guess what? The Bible has a lot to say about how we think and how to think well. But unfortunately, just because we become Christians and follow Jesus does not mean that our mind is somehow mm -hmm. immediately okay. We are still... Sin has hold of our body. We are breaking down until we get that resurrection body. And so I was amazed that not only was this the number one question, but I'm also very burdened like the person. I, I just hate hearing these analogies. Don't share it. Stay silent. Stigmatize. When I was pastoring, a family set up an appointment with me and asked my permission to join our church. Well, you don't have to ask my permission. We <laughs> want to get as many you know, people in the church as we can to fulfill the Great Commission. And they said, well, we were asked to leave the last church because our daughter has bipolar and she was told that she's just demon possessed. Oh it's like what C.S. Lewis so said, cruel. you know, in his wartime bestseller mm -hmm. that really made him a household name in America, a book that he dedicated screw tape letters to J.R. Tolkien. Tolkien was not too pleased to have a lowbrow <laughs> book. And you think about how many people, he said there are two equal and opposite errors. One is to have an unhealthy fascination with the demonic, but the other is to ignore its existence altogether. Mm. And so all of these questions, be it suicide, be it mental illness, there is a biblical answer and we need to give people hope. I mean, when you think that the Apostle Paul, who's been called the Job of the New Testament, mm. in 2 Corinthians 1, uses a Greek word found only one place in the entire Greek New Testament, he actually says in chapter one, it's the word apocrymai, I have the sentence of death within me. I don't even want to go on living. This is the apostle Paul. He had so many problems, people didn't think he was an apostle. Wow. And this is a man who gives us, you know, more New Testament than any other writer next to Luke. And I love the fact that you talked about that little town of Olney near yes. Oxford. Oh, yes, you know. Uh, <laughs> yes. And, but tell them the story of what you discovered when you were there that I think is just remarkable. Well, I have a friend from Scotland, uh, Michael, and he said, Jeremiah, he gave me a list of sites that Audrey and Lily Faith and I, we ended up having a wonderful, beautiful little girl. Um, we went to visit these different Christian sites. And one of them was this little out of the, the way town. And William uh, Cowper is how it looks. He said, no, no, it's Cooper. You say William <laughs> Cooper, a great poet. Benjamin Franklin would often quote William Cooper. Well, he spent seven years in St. Albanes Insane Asylum. He was considered um, having paranoid schizophrenic. Perhaps they didn't quite know the terminology back then. And yet in the little town of Olney, lo and behold, John Newton came to knock on his door and became the local pastor. 
And John Newton realized that this man was so gifted and yet had so many needs and challenges. And instead of ostracizing him, as our church does today, stigmatizing him, letting him suffer in silence, he knocked on his door and he said, you're gifted, you write poetry, let's write hymns together. And most people don't realize that a New Year's Day, I wanna say 1773, they go to their men's Bible study. Picture this, going to showing up at the Bible study and William Cooper and John Newton, you know, we felt particularly inspired, let us read what we've written. And they begin reading Amazing Grace to that men's Bible study on New Year's Day. Most people don't realize the only hymns in which Amazing Grace and its original rendition appears had a co-author, William Cooper, a man who spent years in an insane asylum. And I think that we need to figure out where we are in that story. Mm -hmm. This week, right now, are you a John Newton? You have someone in your life and you need to go put your arm around him and say, let me help you through this. I'm not gonna judge you. I'm not gonna be a Pharisee. Or perhaps you need to hear that you're a William Cooper. You were gifted and God can use you in the middle of the mess. Yeah, I, I love that part that you say that Newton j didn't just offer a pastoral visit, but he engaged his services. That's right. He, he saw his creativity because a lot of people who struggle with mental illness are very creative people. Exactly. But I think there's something about that, that profound sense of walking side by side. What would you say to pastors who say, I don't even know how to start broaching sure. this subject in our church? Well, the first thing I would say is, number one, you have to start talking about it. Lifeway did a recent survey, 70% of pastors never mention the subject of mental illness from the pulpit. And yet globally, one person dies every, what? 40 seconds by their own hand. This is an epidemic, Sheila, as you know. 48% of the people watching your program right now will at some point in their life struggle with a personal mental illness. 25% of our viewers right now struggling with one of the mental challenges. And yet we almost feel like it's a sin to say mental illness when we walk in the church. Like we're a second rate, second tier Christian and that is not so. So my, my, my ministry to the pastor is we have to speak about it. We can't be silent. There is a biblical plan to transcend any, any bodily issue that we have, moral, physical, spiritual. There is a biblical plan, but when we don't speak to it, when we're silent, that gives a platform to people who do what, what in our world we call eisegesis. They pull a text out. Yeah. And like when you and I spoke at Tulsa, a woman walks up to me and she said, my husband was a pastor for more than 10 years. He took his life and I'm told he's now in hell. And I had an opportunity to say, you know what? The scriptures don't teach that. It's Romans not the unforgivable 8. sin. Exactly. Mm -hmm. No, wow. I think that um, one of the things I appreciate so much about your ministry is that you're just shining the brightest light into the darkest corners thank of the you. church. And, um, and I think that is huge. Jeremiah, thank you. We have not come close to even the first couple of layers of the depth of this book, which is, is why you have to really get this book and Bible study for yourself. But one of the things I love about the privilege that we are given, the deeper that we dive into the Word of God, the more that we understand that we are accepted as we are, but then we don't stay that way. We're not just sitting here till God comes and rescues us and gets us out of here. We're here for a purpose. Mm -hmm. And we have this unique opportunity to serve Christ fully in our time. And we get to do that with a really, I think it's probably one of my favorite projects that we do all year. When I look at the shoes I have in my closet, I think, oh gosh, what were you thinking? Mm -hmm. When so many children around the world are actually just hoping and praying for their very first pair of shoes. And we can be an answer to that prayer right now. Would you watch this? 
Sharing God's love is both our privilege and responsibility at Life Outreach. And those of you who make the decision to support our mission work have empowered us to put words into action. In areas where precious children have already perished, many lives are now being saved because you chose to do something about crisis situations like contaminated water sources and a lack of food. With all that's been done this year, at Christmas time we like to go even further by providing corrective surgeries for children with cleft palates. And there's something else that brings a smile to children's faces. I mean, you've helped us change the lives of children all around the world, but we thought in this season, wouldn't it be cool to do something really special? If you look at this darling little one um, here in Angola, he's like every other little boy or girl I've seen, he has no shoes. This coming Christmas, we want to give children all over the world a pair of their very own shoes. Now look at this face. I mean, don't you just think it's the most beautiful thing in the world to be able not just to put shoes on her feet, but to be able to, to protect her from diseases, from all sorts of things if she steps on the ground. Um, and it's just, you want to keep these big brown eyes as big and brown as possible. Help us make this Christmas one these children will never forget by giving them a gift that protects their very lives. Help us provide Christmas shoes and smiles. Thank you so much. Thank you for putting shoes on the feet of such a beautiful little girl. Thank you. You're probably thinking, what are you talking about Christmas for already? It's a wee bit early. Well, that's very intentional because we need to get the shoes and then get them to the right place on time. Now, think about it. Think about how much money you and I waste at Christmas time for presents that we don't really need for things that are just excess, how much extra food we eat. You know, that's why Weight Watchers just lives for January the 1st, because we've all just gone nuts over the holidays. I suggest that we draw a line in the sand this year and say, no more. This is not gonna be just about us. This is gonna be us remembering what Christmas is really all about, that God took on a shoe size to let us know how much he loved us. And I, I think of all these children I got to meet who've never worn shoes in their life. So here's how doable it really is. I mean, these darling little shoes, they last really well. And the thing I love about them is the kids can wear them in the water too. And there's so much waterborne disease, but these cost $3.60. So if you send in $36, we can send 10 shoes, $72, let's just send 20 pairs and 180, 50 pairs. Now, if you're able to do 180, we're gonna send you, these are our little Christmas shoes. We do a new one each year. In fact, this year's one is this lovely little crystal one. So for any gift at all, we'll send you this. I have these all over my tree. Um, and the other thing that I've seen Christ do miracles through is when a child is born with cleft lip and palate, it's, they're looked on as cursed by God and their culture and they have no future and they have no hope. But we've begun to work with some amazing doctors and they are willing to go over and they'll do these surgeries. It costs $500. I mean, over here it costs so much more, but they sacrifice their time and for $500, they're able to do a corrective surgery. That's what Barry and I have decided this year we're gonna give each other for Christmas. Because trust me, I don't need one more sweater, but the thought that I could put a, a genuine smile for the first time on a child's face. So please, if you and I join together, we could live differently. We don't have to be stressed by the holidays. We don't have to look at all the pile of stuff and think, well, what are we gonna put it? 
We could reach out in the name of Jesus and make a difference in the lives of children all around the world. So whether you can just do $36 and we'll send 10 pairs of shoes, or whether you can do more, whether you could do two corrective surgeries for, for a thousand, if we all do something, it'll make such a difference in the world and how much more beautiful on Christmas morning to wake up thinking, Lord, thank you that you blessed me to be able to reach out to children that I might never meet until I see you face to face. So please, would you go to your phone now? Call that number on your screen. Thank you. Poverty is a killer, and because of it, children needlessly suffer, not only from a lack of food and clean water, but also from a lack of things we take for granted, such as a healthy smile or a simple pair of shoes. Far too many children living in poverty have never owned a new pair of shoes. And while that may seem minor in light of all their needs, walking with bare feet puts them at risk of life-threatening infections and disease that could lead to crippling consequences and even death. By responding today, you can help immediately secure and begin shipping Christmas shoes to 150,000 children around the world, just in time for the holidays. Your gift of $36 will help provide 10 pairs of shoes. A gift of $72 will help provide 20 pair. And a gift of $180 will help provide 50 pairs of Christmas shoes for children in need. With your gift of any amount, be sure to request this beautifully crafted crystal shoe ornament, a treasure to place on your tree each holiday season. With your gift of $180 or more, you may also request this keepsake boxed set of life's Christmas shoe ornaments. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,000 or more to help provide over 275 pairs of shoes or two children with corrective cleft palate surgeries, and you may request our Determined Eagle bronze sculpture. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. But we literally stopped by the road where uh, I say we knew we would bring them shoes and I'm confident that we will because children like these need shoes all over the world. And you know, it's amazing. You may say, why would they stop and let you take a picture with them? Well, the truth is they stopped because I just got out and sat down here on the road and smiled at them and they came over and started sitting down by me. Then we explained to the parents through our missionary interpreter that our plan was to come right back to this area, this village, and bring shoes. And so that is our intention, but it's gonna take you making that possible. And I'm asking you to give as many pairs of shoes as you can to put on these beautiful, beautiful feet of these beautiful children. Thank you. Thank you for your help. Thank you so much. Please keep calling. And you went from nothing to tremendous blessing. You talked about your struggle with infertility. And how many children do you have now? Well, be careful when you have an unanswered question. Be ready for the answer. We have five kids, Lily Faith eight, Justin five, and then we had triplets. They're just over one year of age. Our little Texas Cowboys, Abel Ryder and Jackson. So May the Lord be with your wife. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, for any gift you send it at all today, I'd love to send you this book, Unanswered. There's also, as you see in your screen, a Bible study, and you'll also find out where Jeremiah is taking this unanswered tour on the road. But I just want to say for today, thank you so much for gifting us with this. Loved it. Thank you, Sheila. See you next time. Thank you for being with us.
there's deep healing and communion in the broken places where we can tear off the masks and be real with one another. Ann Voskamp and Sheila Walsh, tomorrow. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.